quietly. Lord, open our hearts and open our minds. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are glad that you guys are here today. It's going to be a great day. Um, it's my turn to get to preach, so it's exciting. Uh, it's kind of weird how, how far we are spread out, so if I don't make eye contact with you, just make sure you stay awake, and we will be good. Uh, if you do fall asleep, I'll probably call you out. Uh, not really. I would not do that unless I have a really good relationship with you. Uh, then if you fall asleep, then we're going to have a bad relationship. Um, but interesting thing is, it's, it's, you know, it's Wyoming time. It's, it's, it, it rained. Uh, we moved here in June 11th of 2000, um, 2011, so it's been here about, we've been here about nine years. Came from Kansas, came to here, and um, Michael and I was talking about this morning with the rain. When, when we came here, we were, we were, it, there was still snow all around, so it was, it was still June, it was still snow, kind of foreign to uh, Kansas people. It was pretty, uh, to a degree. Um, <laughs> It was pretty. And, and the, the people we were interviewing with at the, the Christian church, they said, well, it gets even prettier uh, throughout the year. So we actually, we interviewed in March, and then we came back in June. In June, we came, and it was just, it is what it is. It was kind of brown. And their pretty is completely different from my pretty. Um, I kind of think this is not really pretty, uh, but don't get offended. I, I'll, offend you, I'll offend you later. But, um, so it's interesting, though, with the rain, the rain is going to bring new life. And I love the rain during, with the desert because guess what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks? It's going to turn green. It's going to turn lush. It's going to turn beautiful, more beautiful than it already is, uh, in the next couple of weeks. And I'm excited about that because you know what happens is the same correlation with you and I. When we go through difficult times, when we go through hardships, we go through those, 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 those trials, we become better and beautiful people. We rely upon the Lord. And so people are going to look to us as a refreshment. People are going to look to us as a, as a sign that we are able to get through this chaos and be able to see what's on the other side. And so I'm excited about, I love rain. I'm, I'm from Kansas, so we had lightning storms and thunderstorms, and we had rain all the time. And, and yesterday when it rained, it just, it took me back to, to Kansas. So my wife told me yesterday it's 95 degrees right now in Oklahoma. Humidity is like 98%. So I, I praise the Lord I'm not there right now. Uh, I'm, I like 13% humidity here in Rock Springs. But let's go ahead and talk about what we're talking about today. So if you would turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. I had prepared to uh, preach a sermon. We were meeting in the parking lot at the Complex Center. At that time, I was praying, trying to figure out what I needed to pray, uh, what I preached on. And at that present time, the Lord just spoke to me. It wasn't the right time, so I, I did a different sermon. And then this sermon's been ready for two or three months, ready just to be preached and ready to be um, spoken to you. I don't know if you know this, but about preachers, is that we normally live the sermon before we get to actually preach the sermon. We normally go through the valley, we go through the mountaintops, and then we are able to discover all the things that we learned, and we get to share that with you. And so this is the beautiful thing about being a pastor is that we listen, we hear the sermons, we, we, we research the sermons, and then we live the sermons, but then also we present it once to you guys again. And sometimes it's hard. I mean, sometimes it's difficult because emotions are, for pastors are raw. We go through hard times. We go through difficulties just as you guys. And we just, we have to preach show Sunday mornings. And sometimes it's hard to get up here and preach and act like things are okay in your life. Um, Sometimes I think Sunday mornings, to tell you the truth, I think sometimes more, Sunday mornings are a very fake time of the day. We come together, 
and you ask everyone how they're doing, and you can ask Steve and Michael, ask me how I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I may be dying on the inside, but I'll tell them I'm doing good. How many of us have ever done that on Sunday morning? We ask you, how are you doing? And you just want to just emotionally vomit all over that person. But it's not the right time. It's not the right place. It's not expected of you to do it. So you're good. Difficult times. So what I want to see happen today in my life and also in our lives, that we are able to truly be open on Sunday mornings. If you're going through difficulties, if you're going through hardships, you need prayer, please find someone just to talk to and pray with you and read scriptures and to share how the day is going. So 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2, this is going to be our text. It's going to be up there for a while. Before I read this, though, uh, I want to just give you a little background. I've been studying the epistles for a while now, listening to them on the way to work, and I just love the epistles. The, the, the epistles are the, the, the writings from Paul. Paul wrote the epistles um, to different churches, and, and uh, I've just been really studying them here lately. John is the author. He's about 90 years old when he is writing this book. He is last of the original apostles. Christianity has spread far and wide. One, because of persecution, and also because of the overthrow and destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. John had moved to Ephesus. He is now writing to the believers as the last survivor. And I have to want to point out that John was the only apostle that did not die by martyrism. All the other apostles died by someone's hands. And I mention that because I want you to understand that in my talks with different pastors and so on and so forth, and in my estimation, eventually I truly believe we're going to see persecution come to the church here in the United States. Not just taking away our rights, but truly per, true persecution that would come and strip us of our rights, of coming together and worshiping together as a body and, and being able to preach the word of God. That's a whole different sermon, but I believe it's coming. It is a desire, John wanted to set the, set the record straight concerning Jesus. For already many false doctrines have begun to come into the church. Three dominant things are in 1 John. One, the fellowship, truth, and love. As John weaves these themes throughout the book, he uses them not only to show us God, who God is, but to tell us what God expects of us from his children. God expects to hold us to the truth, to live the truth, and to know the truth. He expects that we will love him and we will love one another. John says that God is love and God intends for his children to have fellowship with him. Not only with him, but also with one another. You know, one thing I've noticed during this time of our, our, our country's situation, the crisis that we are going through right now, that there is a lot of Christians out there who are proclaiming things that are not true. They are proclaiming things that they think is scripturally based, but they got their information not from the scriptures, but from somewhere else. It is interesting how John is wanting to set the record straight of false doctrines coming into the church. And you look at the church today, and how many false doctrines are in the church today? And here's a reason why a church is allow false doctrines to come into the church. is because the people don't know the scriptures. The people don't know what the word of God has to say. And to me, that's detrimental when the leadership, and I'm not talking about our church here, but as a whole, when churches do not know what the scriptures have to say, then false doctrines will be able to creep in and take hold and take root in what's going on. It's, 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 It's crazy to me thinking that people think certain things. You know, when I was a kid, I thought you had to go to church. Your salvation was based upon it. If you didn't go to church, you were a bad kid, bad person. How many of you think about, thought that when you were growing up? Or I was the only one. 
Okay? Bible Belt, believer kid, my mom and dad, man, you better be in church, Michael, and you better stay awake, especially during communion. You know, because that was the time to meditate with the Lord, you know, if you fall asleep. You know, but it's interesting. We have this idea of what is scripturally sound and what is what is what we think is scripturally sound. So let's go ahead and read 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. It says, My dear children, I'm writing to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. I love how John begins this chapter. He says, my little children, my dear children. If you've, if you've got kids, you've got to be patient, don't you? You've got to make sure, especially if you've got multiple kids, you've you got to send the, the memo out. I said this before. I said this before. We had six. We're not, we're not as proactive as others. Uh, I won't make eye contact with certain people. Uh, but we, we only had six kids. And I'm thinking, how, do, how are you patient sometimes with these little, little kids? But then the Lord brought me into a pastoral ship, and I've got to be patient with people in the church too. Because we are little kids. And here he says, he's declaring his purpose to write in the epistle. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, he says, I want my, your joy to be complete. He declared that he is writing that do not sin. Amen. Amen. I will tell you this right now. I love the kids in the church. Amen. I love, so if you're, I don't know where that little noise came from, but don't be embarrassed if your kids make noise. They, uh, amen. I'm not even saying amen. I, I yeah. I, I, because this, in my, I just love it. I will just love when the kids are in the church because that's how it's, that's how it should be. All right. I like children's church people too. <laughs> Don't send me emails. Children's church is good. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so now I'm completely. Um, okay. Focus. We believe. we believe. Okay. So I really have no idea where I'm at now. All right. So declaring the purpose, the joy may be complete. Um, so do not sin. Now, one thing I want to tell you today is that we're going to focus on two different things today. We're going to focus on do not sin, not sinning, and then also the great advocator, the one who proclaims our defense before the kingdom of God. And it's interesting that I really have the idea, looking at the scripture through 1 John, that John is trying to make sure that false doctrine is taken away. He's making sure that people know what the truth is, and he's also trying to make sure that people understand what sin is and what sin is not. Here's a problem, and I'm not trying to get political in our, in our realm today, but here's a problem with our generations of Christians today, is that we as a church do not know what sin is. We truly don't understand what, what is against God's word, because the majority of us do not spend time in the word of God. We spend more time worshiping. Now, don't get me wrong. I love worshiping. We spend more time worshiping and listening to, watching Facebook and all the different things we do in life rather than truly focusing and studying on the Word of God and what God has to say. So he writes to them, do not sin. Now, i got to bring Romans in this. It's not on my slide, um, but I, I just, I love Romans chapter 6. If it's in your Bible, well, it's in your Bible. Turn your Bibles there. Yeah, <laughs> unless you have one of those weird translations and they skip Romans 6. Romans 6 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? 
By no means. We are those, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism and in death, in order just that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. I will tell you, you cannot have the fullness of joy in the Lord if you are living in sin, if you are continually sinning on a daily basis with whatever sin you are struggling. Now, don't get get me, I, I will slow down. But don't get me wrong, this sermon is not to beat you up in the beginning. It actually is. It's going to beat you up, okay? I'm just going to beat you up. Because I, I think sometimes churches as a whole, we miss the point about sin. We miss about what we need to be saved from. We have a wonderful Savior. We have a mighty God who died for us. But why did he die? Why did he have to die for us? Because we are sinners needing to be saved by grace. And that's what we're going to cover here a little bit later. But I will tell you, my friends, that today, I think in the Christian realm, there is not a lot of difference between the Christians and the non-believers. We look at each other and we see that we are identical because the, the ability how sin has come into the church, the false doctrine that you can do what you want to do and not have a problem with Jesus Christ. That's false doctrine. And when you cannot tell the difference between a believer and a non-believer, that is something wrong with the church. There is no hope in our country if we look like the rest of the world. We have got to be called on a higher playing field. We have been called to do mighty things in God's world, not through our power. Please don't get me wrong. We cannot do nothing on our own strength. It is only through the glory and the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to do what we need to do. So here's a question for you. What sin are you struggling with? And I know Michael, Michael in one of the sermons, I love his sermons. He said one time, says, sometimes we focus so much on stopping, trying to stop being sinful, and we just need to be focused on Christ. And what a beautiful message that is. Because sometimes I can be so focused on almost becoming legalistic, on conquering that sin and forgetting it's a relationship with Jesus, not all what I do. John is writing them, do not sin. This is a divine ideal, but no one has attained it. In Ecclesiastes, in verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 20, says this, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Paul in Romans says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the previous chapter, John declares that if we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. I don't think that we should live with the idea that I'm going to sin. I think we live with the idea that we are here to glorify God through our lives and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe we should live in hopes and the fellowship of becoming like Christ on a daily basis. But I will tell you, my friends, I don't know who Christ is, but I don't read the scriptures. I don't know who Christ is if I'm not spending time in conversation with him on a daily basis. I, th- I think a lot of, including my own, I think there are times in my life that I've got caught up in sin. Maybe caught up in the, the American dream of, of being able to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and, and, and so on and so forth. Instead of focusing upon Christ's kingdom, Christ's visions, I focus on Michael Longfellow's visions and his desires. And you can fill in the blanks there with whatever you struggle with, whatever you've had a difficult time with. But how easy it is in this world to get entangled with things that ensnare us 
from a relationship with God. We want to be successful. We want to make sure our retirement's funded. We want to make sure we look good. We want to make sure we have the right house and so on and so forth. But we lose sight of our relationship with God. We spend more time doing things for our earthly selves than we do for our spiritual in the spiritual realms. James says this in chapter 4. Submit yourselves into God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I want you to understand, my friends, that when you are tempted with sin, that God will always provide a way out. Always. No matter where you are, no matter what situation you are, you, he will always provide a way out for you to be able to escape the sinful area. That means if you have to run, if you have to, to, to dart, you have to keep away from certain things, that is what God wants you to do. The Bible tells us God makes a way for escape in every temptation. If I fall in temptation, it's because I did not take God's escape route. Paul exhorts to Timothy, flee from your youthful lust. It is, I am, I am just a, sometimes appalled what I see on Facebook, what I see on Instagram, what I see on just the internet itself. Without even going to pornographic sites, there's soft porn all over the place that is hard to flee from. And it's interesting how, how easy it is to be entangled in certain things in your relationship with your phone and your computer. So I tell you, as Paul told Timothy, flee from your youthful lust. Flee from those things that may entangle you, that may distract you from the Lord and from his, your relationship with him. I, I will tell you this, Lori's, Lori and our, the girls who went to Kansas and Oklahoma to, to visit par- great-grandparents, and they took Sophia, and so I've been home alone for 11 days. And so with that, I, I told my accountability partner, make sure you call me. Make sure if I have an issue, I'm calling you. I'm going to protect myself from certain things I watch on TV, certain things I watch on, on my phone, Facebook ads, and so on and so forth, whatever else, just to make sure I'm keeping pure with my relationship with my Lord, but also my relationship with my wife. Flee from the youthfulness. I guess I'm still young. Because, guys, I know how you think, I know how you feel, I know the lust is still going on, even at the age of 44. Flee from those things. Only bring things into your life that's worthy, that be accountable to God's word. It's interesting, as we look at the scripture, if we, if we sin, we have a great advocator with the Father. The word advocator is Greek, is makarliton. I, I probably just slaughtered it. In Bible college, they just said, just say it really fast and no one will know if you made a mistake or not. So I didn't say it very fast. In the same word that Jesus uses when he promised the disciples he would send the, the, whole, the Father to give them the comforter. The literal word means call to one side, usually for the purpose of helping. Right now, if you look at our nation, the American people want help with the George Floyd issue, with the racist going on, with the police brutality going on. They want someone, the American people want someone to come alongside with them and help them during the time of need. They don't want to feel alone. 
And that's what an advocator does. An advocator is one who is a, is a person who is there to comfort you, there to help you, there to help you and guide you during difficult times. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for you and I. You know, I know I'm, I'm going to simplify this, and please don't be upset with me, but the whole America issue we have going on is not just a race issue. It's not just the police uh, abusing their power issue. It's a sin issue. That is what we are dealing with, my friends. We can increase the, 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 the funding for the police a hundred times. We can solve the racism over a hundred times. But guess what? As the people's hearts have not changed, we are still going to have an issue. We are still going to have issues in our country because we need to turn back to Jesus Christ. We need to turn back to who Christ is. Uh, interesting thing is, you know, we have three children. Three of them are, we have six. Three are African-American children. And I wanted to share the story because Lori and I talked about it this week. We adopted our kids when they were uh, uh, four, three, and 18 months old. So they were very, very young when they um, uh, were adopted. The oldest is now 19, 18, and almost to be 18 as well. I was in, I was in Kansas, a small little town of 9,000 people. I was at this, this cafe, and I, was just, I, I had gone to this cafe several times. I, I love this cafe. It was a great place. I could do um, counseling. A little place sat 12 people. I was in there talking to the owner, and we were just, we were just chit-chatting. I ordered breakfast. Um, this is when President Obama had become president. He hadn't been president very long. And I remember sitting there. This guy came in, hadn't seen him before, and I knew most of the people in the town. And he comes. He's, he's just, he's, he's, he eats his breakfast, and I'm talking to the owner still. And during this time, he's about to leave. He comes up to me, and he, he says, on a, don't know who this guy is. He says, I just want you to know. If they, pre- if they assassinate President Obama, they're coming after your kids as well. Didn't know this guy. Didn't know if he was being serious. I'm pretty well sure he was serious. Didn't really know what to say at that moment. Here, a guy that I've never met before have just threatened my kids who are very, very small in age because of their race. Because who they were. I... I was shocked. The beautiful thing is, I don't. I truly rely upon the Lord, but I also remember the, the owner reached under his, his, cab, his, his the counter. He laid up an AK-47 on the cabinet. <laughs> and he says, you will have to go through me and our friends first Amen. before anything happens to those kids. I loved it. It was, it was beautiful. He, that guy was an advocator for me. He was there to help me during the time of need when I didn't know what to say. But you know, sometimes with our lives, with God, we don't always know what to say. We don't know how to pray. We, we've gone through a sinful state, and what do we say to the Father? God, here I've sinned. What, what, are you willing to accept me? I've done this sin 465 times. Will you still accept me? And that song that we, that we sang, the very last one, your love will never end. You can't, ch- I'm going to slaughter it. I, sh- I should have wrote it down. Sorry, Steve. Your love will never end, blah, blah, blah. Your never love will end. You can't chase it away. If you don't remember it, look it up later. You'll find it. That's why I can't teach my kids songs, so I don't remember them very well. Anyway, as, as I was looking at that, as I was listening to that song, our God's love is continually there every <coughs> step of the way. He is our advocator. 
He is the one that stands before, G- before God. Jesus stands before God and says, These people, Michael Longfellow, Jason, uh, who, Michael, whoever, is not guilty because I have died for their sins. I have stood in their path. I have given my life and for them to have everlasting life. He is the great advocator. So when you go through that stage of sinning, when you have difficulties and you... <clears throat> Sorry, you wonder how you can stand before God. You have to remember that it's not who you, you, he's not looking at you. But you are clothed with Jesus Christ. You are clothed with the Son of God. He's your great advocator. He's the one pleading your case. You don't have to say anything. I heard a preacher once say, the best defense to have is to say nothing at all. And as a Christian, we do not have to defend our actions. As a Christian, we do not have to defend ourselves before God because God does, or Jesus does all the defending for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede on God's, with God on our behalf. Isaiah chapter 53. If you haven't read 53 lately, Isaiah, read it. Tell us that he made intercession for the transgressors. And Paul, I love Paul, who will condemn us? He answers his own question. No one. Christ died for us and was raised for, to life for, God, for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. He pleads for you. He pleads for me that we know what is right. We are saved, we are saved because of what Christ did upon the cross. As we look at the scriptures, Paul told the Ephesians that we have access to the Father. He is a propitiation for our sins. A propitiation, what's that mean? I, lo- I learned this back when I, when I memorized scripture in King James. Propitiation basically means um, he's our atonement for our sins. In, in King James it says, he himself is a sacrifice. The ato- oh, I'm sorry, this is uh, still NLV. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. The King James word is propitiation for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Meaning, our place, we deserve to die. We deserve death. But Christ became the atonement for you and I. Now let me tell you, my friends, you've probably heard this sermon a hundred times if you've been in church for a while. You, pr- you probably have. The problem is there's a lot of people in the world today that haven't heard this sermon. Or there's probably a lot of people in the church who don't believe this sermon, that we are sinners. We, I think we're all established there. I think the hard part we have problems believing is that Christ is our great advocator, that Christ took our place upon the cross. I sometimes struggle with that myself. Why would Jesus die for me? And I know the answers. I know all the theological terminologies, but it's still difficult because I know who Michael Longfellow is. I know my sinful deeds. I know my sinful acts. But God still loves me. I will tell you, my friends, raising children, when they go through a rebellious streak, you learn about the unconditional love when you have a rebellious kid. And there's one time I asked God, God, why are you allowing these kids to rebel? And I remember God pretty clearly saying, Michael, why do you rebel against me? Because the unconditional love I have for my children is nothing in comparison to the love that Jesus has for you. And we have all been rebellious, my friends. We've all 
gone down that stage. John chapter 3, 17 and 18, 18 says this. For God did not send the Son into the world that he might condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe has been condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the one and the only Son of God. Christ is our substitute where our sins are covered and remitted. The righteous justice of God is satisfied through the death of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul wrote to the Romans, God, God set forth him to be atonement through, the faith, through, through faith in his blood, to declare the righteousness of God. I'm going to skip down a little. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. I don't know if I'm skipping any slides. For the life of the body is in the blood. I've given you the blood on altar, altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Do you realize in the Old Testament, in order for sins to be, the scripture says, in order for sins to be forgiven, the shedding of blood has to take place. You realize that God in the very beginning could have very easily said, I forgive people's sins just by letting them know, just by the words of my mouth, no blood had to be shed. But God, through his, or, through his divine <coughs> orchestration, said, in order for me to forgive sins, blood has to be shed. I think God wanted to show, show us that he was serious about sin, because sin brings death to our life. But also, in order for, for life to be brought back, it's got to be brought back by blood. And that's where Jesus died upon the cross for you and I. And I, don't get me wrong, I think you know the story. But I think my heart hurts for those people who, don't, who has not heard the story of Jesus Christ. Who have not heard about the redemption. Who have not heard about coming to God and knowing that there is an inter intercessor between us and Him. Hebrews chapter 9. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified by blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And almost all things are by the law purged with the shedding of blood. We have all sinned. We all have fallen under judgment. Well, how are we resolved? And, and I think the answer is by putting your faith in Christ. Not sinning anymore, my friends. And don't get me wrong, I know it's impossible. But I believe there are a lot of Christians who allowed sin to come into our lives and completely change and affect our lives and our mindset. The scriptures talks about taking every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Taking every thought captive. If it does not compare to the scriptures, then most likely it's a lie. Maybe you've never made that decision to follow Christ. Maybe you feel guilt and condemnation before the Father because you've struggled with a sin or sins for a long time. But you have a great advocator. <coughs> you have someone... It was standing before God Almighty saying, this person is my friend. This person is my brother. This person is my sister. I died for them in order for them to have everlasting life. There is no judgment against this person. There is no guilt upon this person. You may know that. I know that, but there are so many people in the world today that doesn't know that. Psalms 103, verses 11 and 12 says this, For his unfailing love towards those who fear him 
is as great as the highs of heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as from the east is from the west. My friends, God remembers your sins no more. We sin, we struggle. Don't sin anymore. Don't struggle with that anymore. Live in the holiness that God has for you. And realize that he has separated your sins from the east, from the west. He remembers them no more. just want to ask a question. i got several questions I've been asking God. I want to ask you. What would happen to our great nation if we as Christians were living this out? Instead of pointing fingers and, and, and doing things on Facebook and Instagram, all the other things, and posting, reposting, just, just trash, judgmental calls. If we as Christians would really just stand up for what is true and what is right, and we would show people what love really is, would we change our society? If we just, Jesus changed our, his world with 12 guys and the Holy Spirit. We have a whole lot more people than here, 12 people and the Holy Spirit. Just imagine if we love the way Jesus is loved. Just imagine if we were able to live a life without guilt and judgment, but in the freedom of the power of the Holy Spirit. What would happen if we lived our life like we didn't care about what other people thought about us in a righteous way? How would that affect our lives? If God told you to do something, you do it. It doesn't matter if people think you're crazy. They thought Noah was crazy. They thought a lot of people in the Bible were crazy. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe you don't know who he is. And this is a prime time to repent of your sins, to ask God to forgive you of your sins, and accept him as your Lord and Savior. I'll be available. Other people are available. If you've never made that decision, maybe it's time to do so. One thing I want you to do, I want to do in my own life, is examine my life right now. See what issues I'm struggling with, what sin I'm struggling with, and how the, those, those, those false doctrines, the false acceptance of sins has come into my life and how can I purge it from my life? I really hope and pray you meditate today upon your life. That you stop doing the things you've always done because that's how you've always done it. But live in the freedom that Christ has given you. Because he is our great advocator. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the day. Lord, I thank you that we can come before you, Lord. And, and Lord, I know I'm a sinner. But Lord, I'm also your child. So everything I have done has been erased. So really, you look at me and you see your child. You see one who you love. You see one who you care for. And no matter how many times I mess up, God, you are still always there for me. Lord, thank you for defending me before the Father. Thank you, Lord, as the, as the great accuser comes and accuses each one of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, you completely have them in your hand. There's no question from us at all that you are our, advita our, our advocator, Lord. Lord, I pray, my Father, just today that you change us, Lord. Lord, get rid of the old stuff that we are still clinging on to. And Lord, I pray that we cling to you and you alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.